forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. What sins have you committed? <laughs> well... Hey everyone, welcome to Forgive Me, Father, a podcast where we discuss how certain aspects of life and a walk with God go together or don't mesh so well. Through discussions of personal vices and victories, we hope to help you, the listener, understand others more and create conversations, no matter what you've experienced or believe. I feel yeah. <laughs> I I only got in school detention one or twice. That one time it was for two days, and the, but I got detention a bunch. And I remember always telling my mom, like, hey, I have to stay afterwards to talk to my teacher or I have to go in early to get some help. And it was classes that I was like right. acing. You know, I remember I broke accidentally yeah. broke my physics teacher's mug and I had to go in for detention. But I was like, hey, I'm having a little trouble with physics. I need to go in and, and get some help. And I showed up and from 7 a.m. to 7.50, I was sitting there in detention. Literally just sitting there. We didn't do anything. Like, I don't remember us doing it. Right. There was no busy work. It was just like, you sit here and you're supposed to think about what you've done. But I'm pretty sure I daydreamed about having an extra hour of sleep. Right. Yeah, I remember like when I would, you know, there was that process where it was like, first you get detention. Like, that's the easy stuff. Mm-hmm. And you would just sit in, at least for being late, they would just have you sit in the, like, the principal's lobby mm-hmm. <laughs> for yeah. all of their offices. You just sit there. Just sit there for like an hour, 30 minutes or whatever it was. And uh, looking back on it now, it just seems kind of ridiculous. Not because it's Mm -hmm. like, it's ridiculous, I got a detention. But like, what is that (laughs) supposed to do? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody really watched over you and was like, are you thinking about what you've done? Right. Like, yeah. And there was never a conversation about, well, there was. I mean, with that one principal, the one that didn't like me. I mean, we had a couple conversations, but it was always, it just made me feel like more guilty and more unable to make a difference with anything. <laughs> like, they were not productive conversations. <laughs> but yeah. You're useless, Nathaniel. Be all you can be. All right. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we have Nathaniel Horgan. Uh, Say hello to everybody, Nathaniel. Hi, I am Nathaniel. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to sit and chat. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about the LGBTQ plus community. And we'll dive into that in depth a little bit more. But Nathaniel and I, we were friends. We were friends. We're not anymore. We were friends. That was back before the war. But we met, who 2009, I believe, we met at the church that we both attended. Yeah. And we went to the same high school. We went to the same community college. Yeah. And that's kind of how we knew each other. Uh, so, Nathaniel, why don't you give us a little, a little tidbit of, of who you are? A little, give the listeners just a little, little appetizer of who, who is the man behind the other audio. okay well um i am 29 years old actually i'm 28 i keep forgetting that i I age myself on accident but um i'm about to turn 29 that's what it is and i live in roanoke virginia i am currently a student i'm learning computer science online um, which was a good move considering the way the year turned out and I am also 
Uh, I'm working currently as a Census Bureau employee for the 2020 decennial census. And uh, yeah, that's about it. I, I, love, I love living in Roanoke because there's um, a lot of hiking opportunities and that's something that I really enjoy. Took me kind of 20 years to, to finally like go outdoors, but now that I <laughs> can as an adult, like I really enjoy doing that with friends. And so Roanoke's a very beautiful area for that. Yeah, I definitely miss Roanoke just for the, the views and the sunsets. They're a lot better, in my opinion, with, a, with, with trees and a mountain backdrop rather than skyscrapers. What, whatever reason it is, I can't like really put my finger on it. Like you go to the star or whatever it might be. The sky is just, it's, it seems bigger than in other places. And you, mm-hmm. I feel like you can see so much more. But yeah, you're right yeah. about that. Yeah, uh, light pollution is definitely a real thing. But even in Roanoke, <laughs> like when like in like when you went because I remember I have a spot that I go to downtown that I love to I love to just like sit and think about life. But uh, even then, like the sky still looks clear compared to if I went to like a park here in Charlotte. Mm. So I don't know what it is, but you're right. The sky is definitely it looks bigger. It looks clear. The sunsets are a lot prettier, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Charlotte. Uh, you're great, but not when it comes to sunsets and hikes. <laughs> <laughs> but Nathaniel, thank you for taking time to to come on and and talk about LGBTQ plus and how that has affected, or just your experience personally, and then also how that's affected your walk with God. I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there who either are going through similar experiences or who just don't know what it means to. Sure to think about God and the Bible in relation to sexual, different sexual orientations. Yeah. Um, so can you give us a little background with you in regards to church and, and, and that community? Sure. So my, my parents, they were both of the Christian faith, like growing up and my dad in particular, they, they were divorced when I was two. So we would sit, visit my dad on the weekends and my dad in particular, he would take us to church growing up. And we went to a little like traditional Church of Christ up in the Massachusetts area. Like I can't even quite remember exactly where it was because we moved around a lot at that point. But um, we, oh, Burlington, actually, Burlington, Massachusetts. That's not right. That's not right. I don't know where it was, actually. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And that was an interesting, like, fun experience because we had friends in that church, but it never really connected with me on like a spiritual level, I think just because I was so young. But my dad, he tried to instill some type of understanding or some type of desire to learn more about it. Mm -hmm. My sister and I and my mother, when we moved down to Virginia, at first, you know, looking for churches because it it seemed like the right thing to do. And then eventually, after about a year of living in Salem, Virginia, my mom and my sister and I were reached out to by what became very close friends of ours to to come to a church that had just started in the Salem area. And it was after a period of, of, of a year or so of just getting to know them and coming out every every once in a while that I eventually started going to that church really in a, in a committed way. And I ended up staying at that church and being a part of that group of people for about five years after that after I kind of made that first initial step to become a member of, of that group. And through that time, I met a lot of people. I made a lot of realizations of just who I am as a person and mm-hmm. how I think. And 
it shaped me a tremendous amount. Um, and it was about, about in 2012 that I eventually left that church and started to rethink or reconsider my beliefs and how I perceived God, how I perceived myself as well. Um, but for about five years, I was I called myself a Christian and I was very active in my church uh, community. Yeah, we were in the same youth ministry, the same teen high school ministry. We were in the same community college ministry. Yeah. For a little bit. And it was good. It was fun. Fun times. It was fun. So with growing up in church and then also for you being mm-hmm. gay, how did those two things mesh or conflict as you grew up? Sure. Yeah. There was little meshing, more more conflicting, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm being honest. It was really something I didn't think about a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I think I tried to ignore it or the cliched sweep it under the rug, essentially, or or put it in a closet even because my dad certainly was not vocally affirmative or supportive of gay people. I mean, I remember growing up and there were things that he said that that never left me that I, I don't think he intended to say something that could potentially hurt me or really confuse me, but that is what happened. And that was the difficult area to maneuver or navigate in my mind because I had this this deep trust of my dad, someone who I did not get to see very often or get to be with physically very often, but someone I really believed was a an important person in my life. And I really relied on that image in my mind of this strong person that I can trust and that I can fall back on when I need to. So if he made statements about gay people in a negative way, which he did growing up, not often, but to where I remembered it, enough to where it, it, it did something to me, that essentially, it kind of framed my experience. So when I went started going to church, which when I, I, I went to the church that we both went to, you and I, mm-hmm. it was really just me at first. My mom and my sister were not going. My mom was working and she was hesitant to go back to um, really any church because she had had some negative experiences in church. And my sister mm-hmm. was going through a little bit of a rebellious phase or just a, I don't even know if rebellious is the right word. I think she was just figuring out who she was. Mm. So when, when I was going, I was alone and I didn't really have necessarily this deep trust yet of any person in particular. I just knew I wanted to be around these people they provided some sort of stability and some sort of community. And, and I really enjoyed being there. I mean, as a young person, I really enjoyed being with this other group of Christians. And so when it comes to how I saw myself as a gay young man, I knew I was gay at that point. I'd pretty much known since I was like very, very young. I mean, there were, there were like memories or little moments in time that, I looked back on and I would say like, yeah, that, that kind of exhibited or, or, or showed at that point that like I probably was thinking differently or feeling differently about guys as, as compared to girls. And mm-hmm. so I knew I, I knew I was gay, but I definitely was not honest or definitely averse to like talking about really anything um, when it came to specifics about like sexuality or about you know, exploring sexual things as a young person. 
um, which we talked about a lot, you know, in that church environment, more in a uh, like in a probably like a biblical way than like a modern psychology way. Like we, <laughs> it was uh, it was not like exploration and like let's figure out what we all enjoy or what we need physically mm-hmm. and emotionally. It was more what does the Bible say about sex? And I just took that framework and I ran with it because I didn't want to deal with the the confusion I was feeling about like being gay. It's described in the Bible or it's talked about lightly, but it's not really fleshed out. And it was something that was easier left on the back burner or just somewhere hidden so that I didn't have to deal with it. Eventually that, you know, that facade eroded away and I had to deal with it at some point. But it was a difficult process getting getting to that point. Because mm-hmm. homosexuality is a, a hot topic, not just yeah. today. But it's been a hot topic within church cultures for quite some time. Sure. Because there are scriptures that condemn homosexuality, ones that talk about lying with men as a man would lie with a woman. Uh, Paul yeah. talks about it in a couple of his epistles. Romans 1 is, is somewhere where he talks about it. Mm-hmm. So for you growing up and knowing that homosexuality is a sin, yet it's a part of you. Yeah. I think something that people misunderstand is that it, People can label it as a choice or it's like a disease or something. You know, that was kind of like the old understandings. But for you, like the connotations and the stigma of homosexuality, Mm. how did that kind of navigate your friendships and how you were open even to like mentors and people in the church? That's a great question. Uh, I like how you said friendships too, because, you know, obviously we we have friends growing up and Mm -hmm. they're some of our first means of kind of understanding like people in the world around us in a way and I was never open with any of my friends even very close friends uh, I never told anybody that I am gay or or family members or anything and so when it came to like the church environment the way I navigated that was very similarly I didn't talk about it or I if we were talking like say like I was with a group of guys and they were talking about girls that they were uh, interested in or that they thought were attractive. I kind of just like played along or tried to fade into some type of background essentially where I just didn't, no one was asking me those questions or if they were, I was giving very vague generic answers. Mm-hmm. But um, when you mention choice or how it's been viewed in the, in the past as like, oh, it's been a choice or it's been a disease. I think that that can really affect how a person feels about their sexuality as this aspect of them, Mm -hmm. this facet of them that they didn't choose. Um, You start to wonder, like, you question it. You start to, like, think, am I choosing this? Like, is this something that, like, I am not really thinking correctly about? Perhaps I am actually just not working hard enough or something. And you you can kind of feel like there's this thing that you could be doing, you just don't know what it is yet. And mm-hmm. that would be how you how you become normal or how you like girls at that point. Like it's just and so yeah, I think when it came to for navigating those relationships, I, I really just tried not to think about it. And I didn't mm-hmm. open up to anybody about being gay. I didn't open up about anybody really beyond um, beyond what I was hearing other people talk about. It was like I kind of just mimicked in a way that was personalized, like I personalized it to myself, but I was just mimicking what I heard, 
when with with the easier stuff like you know someone's talking about yeah you know i'm struggling with looking at women that are attractive and it's like yeah mm-hmm. I, I, I get that and i would say like i'm struggling with looking at people <laughs> That was like my, <laughs> yeah, my, yeah. my little like olive branch to uh, God. I was like, you know, I'm not lying if I say people, right? I mean, people, yeah. men are people. So, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting because W.E.B. Du Bois or Dubois, depending on how you want to pronounce that. <laughs> he published a work called The Souls of Black Folk, where mm-hmm. he talks about this concept of double consciousness, mm-hmm. where he he illustrates how black people in america they have this identity of i'm an american Mm. and then they have this identity of i'm black and those two things bring a certain type of awareness whereas you look at white america and they they can go about their lives and they're like they're american people see them but then with black americans it's like oh you're not just american you're black and it's been a hot topic in culture now or society right now where minorities, people of color, black people have to be doubly aware when they go into certain areas like, oh, okay, not only am I like shopping, but I'm a mm-hmm. black person shopping. So I need to carry myself in a way that doesn't raise any suspicion, you know? So it's kind of like this hyper awareness of like, what is somebody, how is somebody perceiving me? And I don't have the freedom to fully express myself. Right. Is that something that you could relate to when it came to being gay in the church? Having that that hyper awareness of like, I need to, this is who I am, but I also need to be perceived in this certain way to like maintain like the status quo or like to be like, quote unquote, a part of that. That's a great question. Because from what I recall, the feeling I felt back back then at that time I don't know if I did feel that way, if I felt this mm. duality in, in persona or in, there were certainly people I felt more comfortable around. Uh, there were, you know, sure. some of my sister's friends that I became really good friends with, girls that like, I felt I could exhibit a personality or a persona that was part of me that was maybe not something I felt as confident yeah. exhibiting around some of my guy friends. But as far as when it came to the idea of I am gay, though I knew it, it was not something I accepted. And Mm. that probably sounds cliched in a sense, but it was just for me to be able to put it like to to kind of hide that away from people. I also had to hide that away from myself. So Mm -hmm. it was certainly like, in fact, it almost could be described as I really did not connect or exhibit anything about being gay except when I was exploring things sexually which was Mm -hmm. not you know as a as a kid and in a church environment that exploration was not there was nothing quote-unquote healthy about it in Mm -hmm. it like in that environment you know it was something that was was considered perhaps unhealthy and Mm -hmm. so or unbiblical or sinful it was like I dipped into this thing when I needed to. I I dipped into being gay when I was when I was exploring sexuality. But beyond that, it was just, oh, that's an unfortunate aspect of me. Like that's something that no one really has to know about. I don't even have to really think about it. And so yeah, it I would say I more now so 
relate to that kind of idea, that duality, where mm-hmm. you always will walk on eggshells in a sense. If you've gone quite a bit of your life thinking like there's something about you that's just inherently wrong mm-hmm. that you can't change. And even as like an openly gay person now who is comfortable in who I am completely, there's still this tinge of of uncertainty when meeting new people mm-hmm. or talking to people about how are they going to deal with this? Are they going to deal with it? Or is this something that I'm going to have to like maneuver and navigate with them um, in like an educational way now? Because I'm confident that people are going to know that I'm gay, whether they whether they want to or not. Like they're going to know that mm-hmm. I'm I'm not going to hide that from anybody. But you never know like how that's going to go. You never know how it's going to be perceived. Yeah, it's really interesting that you said that you kind of shoved it down or like you put it in a closet mm-hmm. and you weren't willing to accept it even for yourself because I've never thought about it that way. Um, I think, Mm -hmm. and these two things aren't similar, but like with race, I've always kind of been like, I've always been hyper aware of it. It's not something I can avoid. It's a part of who I am. You know, I will always be a Latino man when I go into a gas station or Mm -hmm. a mall store. And even, even having a white name has made me very hyper aware of, of how I look versus how I am like asking for identification when I give someone my debit card because they look at it and it says John Adams and then they look at me and they see a tatted bearded short Latino man and then I say y'all and they're like okay but until that point like there is that hyper awareness um (laughs) yeah but that's interesting that, that like you said you rejected it when did you start to come to that point where you're like this is a part of me that I have to accept and did did you have to accept that first about yourself or was it something that you got out there and then you slowly worked to accept within yourself? Mm, yeah, that's great. Um, it was it was definitely the latter. It was something that I got out there. And I mean, honestly, even years after leaving the church environment, I still didn't quite accept being gay. So it was something that came very slowly. What I wrestled with the most and why I finally got open or told people about being gay, I let people see that side of me, was because I felt this tremendous amount of guilt for not being honest with people. I felt, mm. um, I felt essentially that I was, because I, I really believed in what we were doing. I believed so strongly in, in having a relationship with God and pursuing it wholeheartedly. And so there was no area that I saw in my life where I could I could do that with 99% and leave 1% hidden away. And right. and and not to say that being gay is like 1% of me. It's probably more than that. But right. at the same time it was like it was something that I finally realized like I I need to be open about this to have some peace of mind when it comes to just how I perceive my relationship with God because it was always there where it wasn't there with others or even with myself. It was always there with God because I mm-hmm. knew I was lying. And I, it was like, how long can I lie? I can't lie to God. That's mm-hmm. the nice thing about it. You know, like you can't lie to God. He, he's going to know whether or not you tell him, you tell yourself or you tell anybody else. Right. It was this realization, this understanding that it's there. It needs to be dealt with. 
And when is that going to happen? And it, it got to a point where it was like, it's only going to happen when I make it happen. And so mm. I made it happen. Yeah, that makes sense. Because when it comes to the church that we were a part of, mm -hmm. it was, and I think this is the way that we should really kind of go after any aspect of life, whether it be religion or a job, a relationship, is sure. that like you want to be all in. You don't want to hold anything back. You want to be able to be honest. You want to be able to be sincere. You want to be able to be right. authentic. And with homosexuality being a sin in the Bible, yeah, you got to be able to talk about it. Yeah, Our church was very heavy on the sins of pride as well. Arrogance mm -hmm. was always one that I got approached with. Uh, <laughs> they weren't wrong. Uh, <laughs> I was an arrogant prick every now and then. But... It was like you can't fully meet the potential of your relationship with God if you have this sin that's that you're either hiding or that's still prevalent in your life. So it, it does make sense why you said that you wanted to be open about it. Right. Because you wanted to be all in for God. It makes sense. And to take it even a little further, I think there were certainly moments when I felt not only is it like, oh, I would love to have a fullest of the relationship I could potentially have with God, but... I mean, it, it certainly got to a point where it was like, I felt if I did not get open about this, like, I probably wouldn't have a relationship with God. Like, mm -hmm. I, I would have believed I was, you know, pleasing God or establishing and building a relationship with him. But I would not have actually had a relationship with God, like, biblically. And mm -hmm. cause, because we spent a lot of time with people in that environment, clarifying, right, what it meant to have a relationship with God and what right. it felt like. Because a lot of times working with people that are in the Bible Belt, you know, the Southern Baptist area, and just with, there's a church on every, on every street corner. Right. We really, we spent a lot of time discussing like, you know, it just feeling like you have a relationship with God is not good enough. You need to biblically, be like doing X, Y, and Z, or not even doing, but these are the things that are, these are the parameters of a relationship with God. Right. And so I framed it in that way in my head too, where mm -hmm. it was like, I feel like I'm a Christian. I'm literally with this group of people that's kind of defining what it means to be a Christian. But am I really, if I'm not being honest about this one aspect? So it was fear. There was a lot of fear there too, um, and mm -hmm. a sense of urgency because I, when I finally realized I needed to, to talk about it, I mean, it felt very urgent. It felt like it was like something clicked and I had to talk about it because what if I died that night or something? Like, would that, mm -hmm. would I be clearing my tracks essentially? Would I be like, sure. yeah, sanctifying myself? Yeah, that makes sense. So when you and I talked before, yeah, you had mentioned that in 2009 at the church camp that we had attended, that was your first real outward Confession doesn't feel like the right word, but it's like mm. it was the first time you expressed who you truly are as being a gay man. Kind of spilled out of me, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then you also, and then we also had talked a little bit about how a couple months later in the fall, you finally told the one who was mentoring you spiritually. Yeah. Uh, who our church called disciplers, those who would guide us and personally was, was helping us, a, a Paul to our Timothy, so to speak. Yeah. And you had mentioned that it felt like a part of you was dying as you braced yourself to tell him mm -hmm. uh, that this was, this was you, you know, this was, yeah. this was 100% you. Mm -hmm. 
your authentic self. Do you mind sharing that with, with our listeners? What yeah. that, what you meant by that? Sure. Absolutely. Um, so to touch on just like that moment when I, I went to a camp in, and it was a camp that was associated with the church that I was going to. And it was, um, it was a really great time because you met so many people from all over the, the mid-Atlantic region who felt so strongly as you did and who were able to connect with you on a level that was, you know, beyond just like what it, what it would normally feel like to meet a stranger. And so there was this comfort or this sense of security in that, in that time because it was like a transient experience, but it was also, you know, people that you felt like were really like-minded. So yeah, that was the first time I ever told anybody about being gay. Um, and I was, I was hesitant and clunky with it. So I don't think anybody <laughs> understood what I was talking about, but <laughs> um, it, was, it was somewhat of a relief. But it was also just as much as a relief. It was also a, it was like a bandaid because I was like, okay, I said it. I told someone. So I don't really have to think about this again for a while. And I kind of swept it under the rug again. And it was finally when another like kind of mentor of mine had pulled me aside and, and admonished me about something completely different, something that was, I was going to school really late. And uh, <laughs> he, he kind of admonished me about that. And I was really frustrated about the whole situation because there was so much about just being late to school that I felt like was out of my control. But I realized in that moment, I could think about it in a prideful way or in a humble way and consider what he was saying and perhaps grow from that. And I tried to do that. I tried to think about it in a humble way. But then that's also at that moment, I was up at night the night after he had pulled me aside. I was thinking restlessly because what that thought had kind of turned into was this remembrance of that, that scripture that says, like, if you know the good you ought to do and don't do it, you're sinning. Mm -hmm. And it was like, the, what was screaming in my head was, you're gay, and you need to tell someone, because you know, you need to tell someone, and you're not telling someone. So you are sinning just by not telling someone. Like, I don't believe that was wrong in any way. Mm -hmm. But I do think it was stemmed from some type of guilt or fear. Um, but it was, you know, just this recognition that I wasn't being authentic. And so I finally, you know, I messaged my, like you said, my discipler at that time. And the next day after school, I drove to a park and I walked up into um, this wooded area and I was praying. I mean, I was so desperately praying. And I think I was praying just not for, for me to not have to do that or to, to be honest with this guy. But mm -hmm. I think I was just praying for some type of maybe like peace because I felt, I felt a visceral reaction just mm -hmm. leading up to that where I felt like it did feel like there was a part of me that was, that was about to die, that I was going to kill or cut off this kind of wall that I built up that I'd reinforced time and time and time again mm -hmm. to finally put it down. I mean, it was like removing a shell or something and exposing this very vulnerable part of me because not only was it something that I hadn't, I, I hadn't told anybody, I had not dealt with it myself. I had not spent any time really thinking about it up until that point. And so it was very, very tender, vulnerable spot. And when I finally told, told someone for the first time, my mentor, I mean, I, I'm very grateful because he certainly responded in 
probably the best way someone could have responded. He was very understanding mm. and he was very, he asked me questions and he tried to draw out my story in order to, I believed so he could better understand it. And that was really what I needed. And I think that's what everybody does need in that, in that moment, in that time when they, when they reveal a truth to someone else is this relief that comes from someone just trying to understand or trying to like hear what you're saying is very, it can be like a medicine in a way because you, you never knew that this was what you needed. Mm -hmm. And, and then someone allows that for you. They open that, they, they keep that door open and they let you come through it. So yeah, it was, it was definitely a really difficult thing to do. But when I, once I finally did it, it was, and I know we talked a little bit before about this, but I mean, after about a month after coming out of the closet, I'll say that there's a caveat to that. I came out of the closet to a few people, like a handful mm-hmm. of people. I certainly did not come out of the closet to the world or to my, like, even all of my friends. It was like, a, right. I kind of took it like a need to know basis. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, about a, like a month after that, I mean, I, there was a singular shred of anything that I felt like I couldn't be honest about or that I was hesitant about being honest about. I told someone about it just to get it off my, my shoulders because I think I kind of got addicted to that feeling. Like I'd never really been able to do that before. There was this duality of that guilt and fear of like, what if I don't tell someone? But I think also this like, this now newfound trust that like, oh, I've told someone this one thing and they didn't kill me for it. So <laughs> <laughs> I probably could tell them this other thing that's actually like not, not even a, as big of a deal. So yeah, mm-hmm. let me try this out. It was a great relief to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic that that person responded in the way that they did. Sure. I can, I mean, with me knowing who that is, <laughs> I can fully... I can fully see them responding in a way that was gentle and understanding yeah. and very, very quick to listen. In a little bit, we'll talk about what would be helpful for our listeners who are not a part of the LGBTQ plus community. Sure. We'll talk about how it's how they can respond and how they can love someone who is within that community. Yeah. But I think first, something that needs to be or a question that I want to ask you mm-hmm. is within the realm of being gay, do you think, and this is a general question, mm-hmm. do you feel like churches over, over stigmatize or maybe over condemn homosexuality mm-hmm. as compared to other sins? That's a great question because I think that there's this obvious glaring stereotype or at least there there was when i was growing up i don't think nearly as much anymore but that christianity and homosexual homosexuality were like it, like oil and water they just did not mm-hmm. they did not mix mm-hmm. and that there was there was really no intersection of those two realms where you could exist as a gay person and as a Christian at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so when, when I was going to church, though, in, in that particular the church that you and I both went to, I don't remember really hearing very much about homosexuality. Like, I don't mm-hmm. remember it being talked about. And as such, it kind of makes sense now when I think back on it, because 
what a difficult issue. Like what yeah. a challenging issue to talk about yeah. as a community or as a group because it is does not have an easy answer. You know, mm-hmm. and I think what had happened before with a lot of church environments leading up until, you know, the um the kind of modern day Christianity was that it was just written off as, you know, that is a sin or it's a degenerate type of behavior that mm-hmm. people that are that are gay are they're written off in a way you know it was just it, there was not really any type of communication or attempt to understand um it's probably where we got that stigma of uh of homosexuality being a choice mm-hmm. was from this conflict of being not able to really address the issue easily so let's kind of stigmatize it or let's just make it easy for, easy for ourselves to uh, to pack it away. In a way, it's in the closet, not just for gay people, but for people that don't accept it in a spiritual sense either. Mm. I don't think that they're really thinking about it or discussing it amongst themselves, trying to understand and come to a solution or a conclusion that makes sense or that, that reflects some aspect of truth. And mm-hmm. so I think it was it was easy for me not to think about it because we weren't talking about it as a church community for the most part yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah cuz i think it is a really sensitive issue which is why we're talking about it right. <laughs> which is the 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 hope of this podcast is to get sure. discussions going is to get conversations flowing to open up you know that closet in ra- yeah. in the realm of these are things that we can't avoid mm-hmm. because when you talk about race, politics, yeah, homosexuality, sexual orientation of any kind, mm-hmm. I think nobody really has like a a hand, like a knows how to handle it, uh, right. or knows how to ans- answer questions. So we kind of just throw it in the closet. But now that in 2020, mm-hmm. that stuff's unavoidable. Sure, we're becoming a very as a society as a whole, we're coming becoming a lot more accepting of yeah. different sexual orientations, of being different races of having different backgrounds and these questions can no longer be avoided whether it's because right. you're too scared or because you don't have the answers or right. because you strongly oppose it and you don't know how to talk about that like mm-hmm. these are things that are going to have to be discussed and uh, i guess what i want to talk about now is is how do we talk about these things mm-hmm. uh, within a church how do we love someone who is a part of of that community so for me being straight, yeah. I don't know the struggles. I can't relate to the struggles. Sure. Uh, I'm not a part of a church. I don't claim to follow God right now. But for those listeners who do, I think it's really important for us to discuss how can we love those who are of right. that community. Um, and, I'll say and real quick, like I think that you know when it comes to we we can never really walk a mile in someone else's shoes, you know, forgive the, the cliched expression. But like, when it comes to the idea of relating to someone's difficulty or their experience or their struggle, I would argue that in many ways, like, you know, you as a straight man can relate, because we all have these aspects of ourselves or these truths that we are hesitant to share with, with mm-hmm. others. And in many ways, like, there are things that all of us, I mean, I think it's a very human thing to hide something away, quote unquote, in a closet, it's not limited to, to gay people or LGBTQ plus people, 
it is it is something that we all do as humans Hmm. um because we're a very social species we're very social we we survive by fitting in or by being a part of the group and so it makes sense for us to like hide some of these things away and i so i i guess i would just say like you know i think whether it's as egregious as being gay in a in a world that does not or that did not really accept that when I was growing up, um, I think that can be relatable to to someone who has something that they're not sure of how to express to another person that they care mm. about or that they're. Um, I watched a great TED talk that was talking about something like that, and it was this woman who had cancer, and she was talking about how cancer was her her closet. I mean, she could not find a way to talk to her family and, and let them know this truth about her, that she has cancer. And obviously that's like a tremendously sad thing. And I don't equate being gay as having cancer in any way, shape or form. You know, I I find being gay is very, it's an awesome aspect of myself. I, I like relish it now. I'll say that I just don't think like, you know, you anybody should feel limited in being able to relate or empathize with another person in that way, even if mm. they can't. Uh, but I do understand, you know, that I recognize like we really we can't understand exactly how someone feels in their particular situation. I'll never understand what it feels like to be a black man in a world that can criminalize or or demonize being black, mm-hmm. or just even like the the, the subtle nuances of navigating that environment. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like I can know what it feels like to, what would that like W-E-B Dubois quote or Du Bois, however we say it. <laughs> We're both Who gonna knows? like look that up afterwards. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's not around to correct us, unfortunately. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but no, like I think that uh, it's, it, I, I, can, I can understand that in a way, even if, Mm-hmm. I can't experientially understand it. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. And thank you for correcting me on that. Because I think the biggest thing, the greatest starting point to learning how to love people that we don't entirely relate to is mm-hmm. common ground. And you made a fantastic point when you say that even though me being a straight man, I have things that I am scared to show other people. Mm-hmm. I'm someone who is, and you know my my background with my biological father, and that mm-hmm. has created such a fear of me to show any weakness to people. Yeah. And so I throw that in the closet anywhere where I'm weak. I'm just like, all right, I'll deal with this on my own. I'll cry it out later. But like Mm. for right now, this person needs to know that I'm like the pinnacle of who I can be. Sure. And not everybody can relate to that, but the whole fact of me throwing that in the closet can be relatable and is common ground to you when it comes to being gay and and growing up. And so I think that's fantastic. And for our listeners, that's something to really strive after is finding that common ground, being able to say, I don't entirely relate 100%, but we do have a common ground. And how you want to be treated when when you bring those things out of the closet, the first step to loving somebody else with a different struggle is to be that person that you would want them to be for you. Right. And I think that's that's one of the biggest things. And this is kind of transitioning into the latter part of, of our conversation. But I think the damaging part that I've talked to other people is that homosexuality can be such a, a taboo or a dangerous concept 
But in reality, when you look at the Bible, there's so many different sins. Mm. And as the Bible says that like men should not lay with other men, women should not lay with other women. In my opinion, you, can, you and I want to get your thoughts on this too. Sure. Is we can't make one sin greater than the other when it comes to talking about mm. them or when it comes to condemning them because all have fallen short of the glory of God for the wages of sin or death. That's Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23 respectively. Mm. But I, I've always found it that there are certain sins that have been pointed out more than others. And I think homosexuality is, is in the realm of that. Yeah. And, and I think to clarify something, the Bible doesn't explicitly say that being gay is a sin. Right. Um, right. In, in, in Romans, I believe it talks about homosexual offenders. And in Leviticus, it, it mentions like a man who lays with another man. Mm-hmm. So there's this act that is, is going along with it, right? And so I think that can be a point of contention because I, it, it creates this, uh, this understanding that, okay, so being gay is not inherently like, is, it's not inherently sinful, but perhaps acting on it could be construed as sinful, right? Right. Exactly. And that's, that's where I stand in the realm of God in the Bible mm. is that, and I know there are asexual people, people who don't necessarily feel sexual desires, right? but for the grand majority of humans, whether you're straight, whether you're gay, no matter what your sexual orientation is, we all have desires, uh, the grand majority of us. Right. But just because I'm a sexual creature doesn't automatically condemn me to a life of sin and a life of hell and a life of, you know, being a degenerate. Yeah. Are there times where I like think about lying? Sure. But it's acting upon that, which makes it, which makes me sinful, which is the sin in itself. I see what you're saying. Uh huh. And so I believe that most church cultures have been like, oh, you're gay? Hell. Hmm. But for me, I struggled with watching pornography and masturbation when I was in the church. But we don't condemn people forever just because they're sexual creatures, because they're straight. Yet people have started to condemn people who are homosexual simply because they're homosexual, regardless of acting out upon that act. Right, right. Well, and, and, and the, the emphasis and the attention that homosexuality brings, I mean, for all young people that are growing up and realizing they are gay or they're somewhere on the spectrum, that condemnation, um, it can do a lot of damage for a young person. Mm -hmm. We lie to our parents. We steal from our sisters, our our brothers. And so growing up, we're constantly being redirected or gently aligned with what would be best for the greater group whether that's the family unit or the church unit or the school classroom. So mm-hmm. we're, we're constantly being aligned by older humans, right? And when you're gay, there's not, really, there's not really any of that that happens. I will say, when you really think about like what, what does God allow for, like the biblical God allow for in the real physical world, right? Mm-hmm most of like what God allows for is a, some cohesion to a community. He allows for this essentially an environment where people are not taking advantage of each other solely because they can, 
where there's um, where they're exhibiting love or kindness to one another um, and trying to grow that community, whether like by reproduction or through bringing people into the fold, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? Evangelizing. And so it makes sense to me in an earlier rendition of, of a human community, like we see in, in biblical times. And obviously the Bible spans perhaps thousands of years in, in, in the time that these books were written, right? Um, and so certainly like communities change throughout those times, but they're, they're entirely different, almost maybe not comprehensible to like the modern hu- human, how those people would have lived. And so I think it makes sense that a, a homosexual relationship provides nothing to the community in a tangible sense. There's no offspring. There are um, perhaps I could see why it would be it would be considered a negative thing to an earlier like an earlier group of humans because it doesn't provide this this thing this this child right mm-hmm. and so. I don't know if I believe it's still like if it really should still be considered even a sin at this point, because mm-hmm. I think what and this is a difficult question. How do you tell a person who could do so well by having relationship with another human being, whether it's of their own sex or not, that they can't because it's it's considered sinful there like when I when I told the people that I was close to or the people that I trusted that I, that I'm gay when I was in the church, I concluded at that point that it was like, okay, this is something I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll be alone or mm-hmm. maybe I'll find there'll be a woman who is also gay that we could just have like a really great friendship or something. And like that would work out. Right. <laughs> I had these hopes because I was like, I, I love God so much and I want this relationship with God. But at that point, and, and no one stopped me from doing this, and, and, and people did kind of, they reinforced this idea, but I essentially felt like I'll just be alone. Like, I'll, that, mm-hmm. that is what this, this boils down to. I've, I'm open about it now, but what that means for me is a life of celibacy, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I think we know that just doesn't work. We, we see, like, the negative effects of that even just like in the catholic community where mm. like that does not work we're not we're not celibate creatures i mean our biologically we like have a drive to have sex we have a drive to share an intimacy with another human being both emotionally mentally and, and physically as well and so i think that it can be um severely limiting to consider it as like something that is just like a characteristic of someone that, that, okay, you know, it's okay that you're gay, but it's still not okay that you act out on being gay. And I know that's very complex and it's not an easy answer, but it's something that I kind of explore in my mind as well. So, Hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's a really good point. So with all this talk of being gay, rejecting that part of yourself, and then even the 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 big surprise, maybe not maybe not a surprise, but the great the great victory of having someone who was able to ask questions and not immediately condemn you and, mm. and your mentor when you were open with him. What would your advice be to people who are in the church on how to understand, relate, and love 
someone who is gay or within the LGBTQ plus community? Sure. Um, well, I think that it's, it's such a delicate thing because it's, uh, it's certainly like not an easy thing to, mm-hmm. to be on either end of that conversation. I think like we kind of have this tendency, we, we're always debating or bargaining with the future. And we do that with, our, with the people we care about too, in a way that like we have a vision for the person that's sitting in front of us or some hope that they're, they're gonna make the right choices. And I think that's very natural. I think that can limit our understanding when we try to do that in a conversation. And so I think what I would believe would be the best thing you can do for a person, if someone has come to you and said, I need to talk to you about something, and it's clear that you know this is not something that might be an easy conversation, or it's, uh, it's something that they themselves have not really dealt with fully, I think that that should be recognized that this is a very vulnerable like moment for this person. Mm-hmm. This is a very vulnerable position for this person to be in. And it's okay if you don't know what to say. I think being sitting there and being okay with not having an answer is mm. the toughest part, but like it's, it's also can be the most beneficial thing because it allows you as a human to like listen to this other human, this other brain that's just ex- describing what they're experiencing, right? And what they've maybe come to believe about themselves or about the environment they exist in. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would say the conversation like would be, you know, fruitful or beneficial, but I think it just allows it to go where it needs to go at that point. If you can sit there and, and recognize this is, um, this is a vulnerable moment for this person, but it's also Mm -hmm. difficult for, for the other party to, to navigate and that is okay that is just mm-hmm. that is okay it's, it is the way it is essentially yeah yeah I, i'm sure i've shared this on the podcast before but some of the most helpful people in my life when mm-hmm. i was vocal about things that were very personal that were very vulnerable they would just say what do you need from me and that was yeah. probably one of the most helpful things you know because it wasn't yeah. they didn't jump in with correction they didn't overly like coddle me uh, i hate both but to be able to love and just be like, all right, well, what do you need from me? Do you need me to sit here with you? Do you need me to love you? Do you, do you want advice? Is really helpful. Because uh, then you, you continually make that safe space safer. That's, that's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. It allows someone to explore the topic in a way they need to, because they probably don't know how they, they need to explore it either. You know, like mm-hmm. a lot of times when we come to another person, we don't know what we're looking for, right? Like yeah. we don't, we have no idea. And so recognizing like this process needs to be flexible on both ends can be very helpful mm-hmm. for, for everyone involved. Yeah, especially with people, with stuff like this where it's like, they probably know that it's wrong within the church community. It's wrong within church mm-hmm. culture. They probably already have some semblance or idea and they, they're probably already condemning themselves and going through the condemning scriptures in their head right before they bring this up to you. So sure. if you're listening and you're trying to learn how to love someone in a situation like this, it's not always helpful to go at them with scriptures because they, they honestly probably already know those. And that's probably their hesitance with bringing stuff forward mm. as well is that they're like, I need to get this out. I know that it's wrong. I'm scared of how people are going to view me once I say this, but it has to be said. You know, be receptive to that. 
right and then be who they need in the moment because there will always come a time to be honest and to talk about scriptures if they're looking to grow in their relationship with god but oftentimes that's not what they need in the moment and, and if anything coming to a person with a scripture that or or just having it in your back pocket like a scripture of encouragement that lets this person know that no matter like what what they deal with or what they're experiencing or who they reveal themselves to be they're still loved by you and loved by your community and loved by your god and mm-hmm. i think that 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 can put someone at ease if you if you know if you're like oh i'm pouring out a scripture and it ends up being something that is encouraging or reinforcing of just this person being human that can be yeah. uh, that can be helpful that's great that's great advice and so now on the other side of the coin Nathaniel, what would be your advice to to someone who has a similar situation to you, who is gay or who is a part of the community, who is within the church, or maybe they're thinking about God in the Bible. Maybe they already know the stigmas that come with those two things conflicting or complementing. What would your advice be to them? What are some words of encouragement that you could give? I think that for a person who is in the community, uh, the the uh, a spiritual community where being gay um, is creates some type of internal conflict, and I mean you'll know you'll know if it, if it does for you. It's it's mm-hmm. like it's 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 obvious. I'll just say it's like a very obvious feeling. Mm-hmm. I think that for that person, allowing yourself the flexibility to recognize that it's okay for one that you may not have dealt with this completely like that is okay like that is okay if you feel confused if you feel uncertain if you feel like you don't know where to look or if you can even express an aspect or this part of you I think that it's also important just the same though to recognize like you can wrestle with this like you can you can spend time thinking about this and coming to to a conclusion or, or maybe not even coming to a conclusion, but sitting there and spending time and thinking about it and not knowing where that's going to go, like where that thought process is going to go. Um, allow yourself that moment, those moments of time to think about it because I think what can happen and it's something we all do as humans, but you know, we can like really bottle all of the entangled emotions that come with a particular thought or or feeling or concept and that's okay because it's it's something that you know a lot of times like when we when we don't feel like we have a place to put that we have to bottle it up mm-hmm. that is something that we do and, and and it's it's like a defense mechanism that we have but if you hear this and you're like i need to think about this like you feel like you need to think about it let yourself think about it let yourself just think about it and 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 recognize like you don't have to make a, a choice to to come out to anybody or you don't have to make a choice to to say like you know after i spent 15 minutes thinking about this i'm going to do x y and z just allow yourself that opportunity to to sit there with it and i think also recognize like you were dealt a difficult hand like you were just dealt a difficult hand if you if you are gay or on the spectrum or any number of things that can come in conflict 
with a community or an environment that you're in, whether it's a church one or otherwise, recognize like you were dealt a, a hand that was challenging and you can spend the time you need to spend to figure out how to best approach your situation. I think it's important to spend time with yourself and spend time understanding who you are. It's something that can take so many years for us to do as humans. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think there's, I I don't think there's anything really bad that comes from that. I think it's almost solely beneficial to do so. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's great advice. All right. Well, Nathaniel, thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to me (laughs) and my viewpoint and also (laughs) sharing your viewpoint, uh, being a gay man who, who was in the church. Uh, and then all your experiences. Thank you for having me. I've appreciated the time to uh, to share a little bit about my story, and and that's always that's always a nice thing to be able to do, like to revisit some of those things that might have been challenging at the time, and and to see where I've like come now. It's been really, um, it's certainly something I'm very grateful for, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. And now even being able to use your experiences and put them on a podcast and be able to, to help others, you know, whether they have similar experiences or not, just to be able to give them a different insight. And kind of what we were saying, mm-hmm. like finding that common ground to truly continue to love one another, despite our walks, despite our experiences, despite sexual orientation. Yeah. And if people want to know a little bit more, maybe about your story, or maybe they want to have a safe space where they can talk or ask questions or voice anything. Is there anywhere where, where our listeners could reach you? Yeah. Um, so I'm not like, I'm certainly not the most active person on social media, but I am on Facebook. If you want to reach out to me, my name is Nathaniel Horgan. That's H-O-R-G-A-N. And um, shoot me a message or add me as a friend, whatever you prefer. I'm totally open to talking to people, especially about um, questions that they might have about how to approach the situation or how to approach some of the more difficult or, or challenging thoughts they may be having, or even how to, to be that person that could be a sounding board for someone that might be dealing with some of the things that we talked about today. So um, definitely like, feel free to reach out to me. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And I'll, I'll add a little tidbit about him on the podcast Facebook page. And if you're on Instagram and you found us through the Instagram podcast page, I'll put a little something about him on there. Uh, so we, you'll be able to contact him if you need to, because being a sounding board, having a sounding board is so helpful with yeah. things of this nature, but also being able to ask questions of how can you best be open when someone brings this kind of stuff to you as well is, is yeah. very important. Absolutely. So to you, the listeners, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time. <laughs>